Outlaws and Scorned Women is intended for entertainment purposes only. Nothing on this show should ever be construed as actual legal advice. Also, it is chock full of adult content, so we do recommend a little bit of listener discretion. watching cheer yet <laughs> no we don't have netflix i'll watch it i'm gonna okay if only because of jerry i want jerry to matt talk my life work 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 <laughs> you've got jazz 98 pounds <laughs> did you see you must have seen uh you did because you're the one who posted the video i, I linked it stephen colbert being like we have found a way to positively <laughs> scream a woman's weight at her yes but i do i want jerry to follow me around. i want a team i want a duo team i want jerry from cheer and i want jonathan van ness to follow me around from queer eye to follow me around in my life and be like yeah what? You're gorgeous. That's what I need. They wouldn't have a lot of following me around to do because I don't leave my house a lot. But you can just follow me around my house and tell me how gorgeous and wonderful I am. While you're making tea. Yeah. While you're letting the dog and then, out. And then Jerry's like, 200 pounds. And I'm like, Jerry, we talked about this. How dare you? I'm like, Jerry, no. Oh, Jerry. I just, he, he's a light. I like him. Um. So yeah, we should probably do that thing where we introduce uh, we do our Hi. intro. <clears throat> Excuse me. I'm going to do this thing. Okay. Hey, y'all. Uh, welcome back to Outlaws and Scorned Women, the podcast where we... <laughs> I can't look at you while I do this. You're over there <laughs> laughing at me. No, because you had a phone voice. You were like, hello. <laughs> Kids, I told you to clean. Hello. So welcome back to the oh, show. Shit, it is my, it's my customer service representative voice. <laughs> Oh, I never knew. Oh. No, that's okay. Say, hey, no. guys. Go back and do it. <laughs> hey. Oh, I'm so uncomfortable now. Welcome back to Outlaws and Scorn Women, the podcast that explores the criminal history of the great state of Texas. I do have a phone voice. Oh, shit. I don't. <clears throat> you have a fabulous voice. I wish I had your voice. All right. Here we go. Here we go. All right. uh, uh, criminal history of the great state of Texas. I already did that part. This is the most professional intro we've ever done. Okay, I'm Stephanie, and I am an intensely professional drama queen, uh, and you are? I'm Stephanie, and tonight I'm tired mom, (laughs) slash podcaster, slash lawyer mom. Wearing all the hats. Wearing all the hats. Uh, And so the way the show works is uh, we're going to stop talking at you here in a second, and then you're going to hear a little story about a crime that happened in Texas, and then we'll come back, and you will we will sit down with the lawyer, Stephanie, and talk about all the legal ins and outs of the crime that we just heard about. Uh, so this story, <laughs> just in time for Valentine's Day, we have got a classic, very San Antonio love triangle and i'm so excited about it there are a lot of details a lot of really interesting crazy can you believe that happened love is real did you know that love is real love hurts uh i gotta say at the end of all this i'm not gonna say which of the two ladies involved but at the end of all this one of them said i still love him i will never find a better man than that once you have the best man in the world you never go back and so love is real, you guys. And let's hear all about how real love really is 
Buckle up, buttercups. Let's get into it. Did y'all ever hear about the sudden passion defense? We'll get into it in more detail with the lawyer Stephanie in a little bit, but as far as my less educated brain can grok it, the sudden passion law basically says that if someone or something pisses you off so badly that any reasonable person could understand why you flew into a rage and all you could see was flames, flames on the sides of your face, and it wasn't until later when you were washing the blood off your hands that you even knew they were dead. Well, maybe you had capital R reasons for what you did, and you don't deserve quite as harsh a punishment. So picture this. You are a lady driving down a two-lane highway in the spare SUV because your husband took your car when he left the house. And up ahead, in the only other lane coming towards you in the opposite direction, you recognize your husband riding his motorcycle. And then you see behind him, also driving in your direction, is your car with a woman half your age behind the wheel, his girlfriend. The first time you ever lay eyes on your husband's mistress, whose marriage-exploding existence you had just recently found out about, but who you'd never actually seen in person, the woman that he is cheating on you with, and she's driving your car. I mean, how do you even think in that moment? When the living, breathing evidence of your husband's infidelity is not only right in front of you, but sitting in the driver's seat of your car, touching your steering wheel with the hands that she uses to touch your husband, what do you do? Do you, you scream? Do you dissolve into tears on the spot? Do you sink into the eerie calm of a woman who done been pushed too far and quietly drive yourself to the nearest lawyer's office and file for divorce and then drive home and pile all of your husband's belongings in the front yard and set it all ablaze? I mean, what do you do? Well, if you're Francis Hall, you slam on the brakes, pull a Yui, hit the gas, and you chase that bitch down. In San Antonio, Texas, in the early 1980s, Francis and Bill Hall were high school sweethearts. They met at the age of 16, fell madly in love, and got married straight out of high school. Within a couple of years, they had their first child, their daughter Nikki. Bill worked several jobs at the time, construction, uh, driving trucks, solid, honest, blue-collar stuff, doing whatever he could to support this young family he had going on. A few more years go by, and Francis gives birth to their son, Justin. Growing family, growing needs, Bill starts to take a look at his job situation and decides that he needs to start thinking a little bigger. So in 1989, Bill purchased his first big rig 18-wheeler truck and started his own business, Bill Hall Jr. Trucking. Frances was at her husband's side every single step of the way. She was an equal partner in this whole new business. She handled the finances and all the books. He handled the trucking and being the face of the business. Decades of working together, living life together, and they stayed crazy in love. Bill liked to call Francis his vieja, which means old lady. It's a lot more endearing in Spanish, trust me. They were a team, and they were good. 
Over the years, that one big rig grew into a dozen, grew into a whole damn fleet. And by 2013, Bill Hall Jr. Trucking Limited was San Antonio's biggest, most successful trucking company, valued at an estimated $15 million. Bill Hall Jr. was, with the help of his vieja, a self-made millionaire, and he made sure that his family wanted for nothing. Bill loved his kids. He gave them and his wife this big, beautiful house. He helped take care of the whole big, extended Latin family. When Frances had some health troubles that led to her needing to get a hysterectomy, Bill was by her side, supportive and making sure that she knew this surgery didn't change how much he loved her. He was a big fan of, of cars and motorcycles, with his own baby blue custom Harley-Davidson that he liked to ride to the rallies on the weekends, so his affection was often expressed in the form of vehicles. He bought Francis a Cadillac Escalade, and then a little bit later, a brand new Super Sport Range Rover. Bill and Francis would go into their 32nd year of marriage strong and loving and successful as all get out. That is until September 13th, 2013. Friday the 13th, as it happens. That's the day that Frances's phone rings. She answers it, and there's a woman on the line. A woman who introduces herself and says, You don't know me, but my name is Bonnie, and I'm the woman who's sleeping with your husband. Enter Bonnie Contreras, a 28-year-old single mom from San Antonio. She met Bill Hall in 2010 at one of those weekend bike rallies that he loved so much. He was walking past the Chicken on a Stick booth where she was working, their eyes met over the condiment rack, and the rest is steamy, adulterous history. Now, <clears throat> it is the official position of outlaws and scorned women that every relationship on the monogamy sexuality spectrum is unique and valid, so long as all parties involved are fully informed, clearly communicating, enthusiastically consenting adults. I am not here to judge Bonnie for dating a married man, especially when that married man is a millionaire who told her that he was in the process of getting a divorce and was separated from his wife, and apparently went without wearing his wedding ring often enough that Bonnie couldn't even see a tan line on his finger when she checked. I am, however, absolutely here to judge Bill, who knew that he was in a monogamous committed relationship with his wife of 32 years when he decided to lie about that marriage so that he could chase after the chicken-on-a-stick girl. Oh, Bill. He was, by all accounts, a good, generous, kind, loving man. But this? This was real dumb. So, their relationship proceeded apace, with Bill affectionately calling Bonnie his gorda, which means chubby lady and, again, is a lot more endearing in Spanish. He enjoyed lavishing Bonnie with every gift a man that wealthy could think to shower on a woman 20 years younger than him. Manny petties whenever she wanted, clothes, jewelry, including a five-carat diamond ring, luxury vacations, even breast enhancement surgery. Don't ask me how he hid all of this spending from Francis for a solid three years, but somehow he did. Because, oh yeah, Bill and Bonnie met in 2010, but Bonnie didn't decide to pick up the phone and write him out to his wife until 2013. The reasons for that phone call vary depending on who you ask. 
Francis will tell you that Bonnie knew that Bill was starting to get tired of her, so she had started threatening to tell his wife about their relationship. And then when Bill refused to pay for one of her $100 manicures, that was Bill calling her bluff, so Bonnie decided to prove that it wasn't a bluff and called Francis. Bonnie will tell you that she loved Bill. She wanted to marry him and start a family. But he was dragging his feet on this divorce that he had lied about, so she told him that if he didn't end his marriage, then she would end it for him. And when he still did nothing, she picked up the phone and lit the fuse to make that whole marriage go boom. And then Francis will tell you that Bonnie saying that she wanted to start a family is ridiculous because she did get pregnant at one point, but Bill told her to get an abortion. But Bonnie said no, she wouldn't get an abortion unless Bill agreed to pay for her breast implants. And Bonnie will tell you that Francis is evil for saying that because why would Bonnie, who was already a mother, ever exchange the life of her unborn child growing inside of her for something silly like breast implants? And oh my God, y'all, do you see how this is? These two women hated each other. Instantly, truly, madly, deeply, sight unseen, hated. So after Frances gets off the phone with Bonnie, she confronts Bill. And Bill breaks down. He fesses up to the whole affair, throws himself at his wife's mercy, and begs for forgiveness. And Frances tries, she does, for weeks. But the specter of Bonnie looms large, casting a shadow over every single aspect of their long marriage. In early October, Francis and Bill take a weekend trip down to Corpus Christi to try and get away from it all and reconcile. They get settled into their hotel room and the phone rings. It's the concierge telling Bill that his wife is at the front desk and she is demanding to be let up to his room. Bill says, that's not possible. My wife is right here in my room with me. The concierge apologizes, wishes Bill and Francis a lovely evening, hangs up, and has security escort Bonnie out of the hotel lobby. She followed them to a whole nother city. How she knew that they were traveling and where they were staying is unclear, but Francis's family claimed that Bonnie was stalking all of them on social media, creating dummy accounts and sending friend requests, driving by their houses and taking pictures of all their cars so that she could track their movements. Bonnie denies this, but there's no denying the fact that she did show up at that hotel and that after security escorted her out, she launched a fast and furious text war against Francis. Not Bill, the guy whose lies and infidelities had spawned this whole mess, just Francis. Would you like to know what some of those text messages said? Of course you would, because you are a good and intelligent person who knows the difference between petty gossip and simply educating yourself on all of the evidence that will be presented at trial. So check this shit out. Bonnie is 20 years younger than Francis, right? So she's a child of the selfie age. She's got lightning quick thumbs and she is just blowing up Francis's phone with text after text after text, tossing out whole misspelled novels before Francis can even tap out a reply to the first message. Bonnie's sending Francis these heartwarming texts like, quote, let me know if you want some good juicy pics of me and your hubby, or you stupid old person, keep fixing yourself up. Maybe he'll find you more attractive. Francis manages to get in a shot, saying that Bonnie's backside looks like some broken saddlebags, to which Bonnie responds with, I shit you not, photos of her own bare booty with the caption, this is what he really likes, you fat old woman. Oh, but wait, there's more. Bonnie also sent Francis dozens of other pictures, selfies that she took with Bill, stalkerific pictures of Francis's house and car, and also 
photos that appeared to be of Bonnie and Bill having sex. Yeah, classy with a K. But perhaps the most hurtful message? Bonnie sent Francis a screenshot of a medical diagram of a hysterectomy. With the caption, quote, Look at this, you rotten hollow bitch. That's how you look from your insides. Yeah. So, Corpus Christi, not a lot of fun for Francis and Bill. They go home in what I can only imagine was a really, really uncomfortable two-hour car ride. A week goes by, and Francis gets to the point where she can't even look at Bill anymore. On October 9th, 2013, she just blows up at him, screams and cries and slaps him, tells him to get out of her house till he finally jumps into her brand new Range Rover and takes off. Francis doesn't know where he goes and she kind of doesn't care. The next day, October 10th, Francis, returning to a sense of normalcy, drove to go pick up a 200-pound slab of granite for a home renovation. She gets it loaded in the back of her Cadillac Escalade and she's cruising off down Loop 1604 in San Antonio. Now, 1604 is a two-lane highway, just a long, slim stretch of blacktop with a dotted line down the middle and gravel shoulders. So anyone driving down it has a long, unencumbered view of traffic moving in the opposite direction. Way up ahead in the oncoming lane, Francis can see a motorcycle approaching with an SUV following behind it. As they get closer, she realizes. She recognizes that bike. It's a custom baby blue Harley-Davidson that's Bill's bike, with Bill on it. Which was weird, because he'd left the house after their fight in her Range Rover. A Range Rover that looked an awful lot like the SUV that was following behind Bill, and oh my god, that was her Range Rover being driven by a woman who could only be Bonnie. The two women lock eyes for the first time through their windshields. Francis says that Bonnie smirked and flipped her the middle finger. Bonnie denies it. Whatever their interaction, I imagine in that moment, Francis's heart stopped, along with every single molecule in all of time and space, and then came blazing back to furious life in the center of her chest, sending a blinding red haze across her eyes, narrowing her vision down to a long, searing tunnel with Bonnie Contreras at the end of it. Francis slams on the brakes, whips that giant Escalade around in a screeching tire U-turn across two lanes of highway, the slab of granite thumping around in the back of the SUV. She stomps on the gas pedal and goes tear-assing down the highway, chasing Bonnie down. What exactly happened next depends on who you ask. Francis says that Bonnie saw her coming up behind and started hitting her brakes, then flooring it to obnoxiously brake check her and get away. Bonnie says she never even saw Francis, didn't even know she was there, until she suddenly felt a bump from behind and looked in the rear view to see Francis ramming the back of her Range Rover with her Cadillac. She says that Francis hit her so hard that her purse flew forward out of the passenger seat and onto the floor, and Bonnie had to floor it and weave out of her lane and try to get away, but she could not escape Francis and her rampaging Escalade. Now... If you've ever had a purse, a bag, anything, sitting on the passenger seat of a car while you're driving, you know that the only way it flies forward is if you suddenly slow down, like when you hit the brakes. Not when you suddenly lurch forward, like when somebody hits you from behind, because physics. 
and the likelihood of a super sport Range Rover being unable to outrun a big old Cadillac Escalade with a 200-pound slab of granite in the back is vanishingly slim, because again, physics, that whole mass and acceleration thing. I'm not saying Bonnie is lying. Science is saying that. Whatever story is true, the end result is the same. Two SUVs and a 90-mile-an-hour car chase down a two-lane highway, veering back and forth across both lanes, skidding gravel out of the shoulders, just madness. Francis is screaming at Bonnie, pointing at the side of the road, telling her to pull over so she can confront her. And Bonnie's screaming right back and absolutely not pulling over. At one point, Bill and his motorcycle end up in between the two SUVs, with Bonnie in front of him and Francis behind. Francis swerves into the oncoming lane and floors it, trying to pull past Bill to get to Bonnie. She ignores Bill as he yells at her from outside her passenger window, raging, laser-focused on the back end of that Range Rover up front. Francis hears a thump, assumes it was the granite slab slamming around in the back of the SUV, and keeps going. After a while, she starts to hear the wind whistling. The sound snaps her out of her rage as she glances back to see that the third row passenger side window of the Escalade is shattered. She checks all of her mirrors and she doesn't see Bill or his motorcycle anywhere. Francis gives up chasing Bonnie and turns around to go back the way she came, to look for Bill. He's not hard to find. Just look for the flashing lights. Bill is on the side of the highway, already surrounded by cop cars because other drivers on the highway had been calling 911 about this crazy-ass car chase. And Bill is not okay. He had collided with the Escalade, hit it hard enough to shatter that back window and get thrown from his bike with enough force to knock him right out of his boots. Francis comes screeching up to the scene, jumps out and runs up to Bill. The cops try to stop her, but she screams that she's his wife and they let her through. She drops to her knees at Bill's side, and he is so bloody. He looks up at her, and he says, I can't breathe, vieja. Minutes later, a helicopter lands to load Bill up and take him to the hospital. Frances tries to get in with him, but the cops stop her, for real this time. She can't ride with Bill to the hospital, because the police are arresting her. A little while later, Frances is still in the back of a squad car, when the police let her know that her husband did not survive his wounds. Bill Hall Jr. is dead, and it sure does look like Francis killed him. Francis Hall was put on trial, charged with aggravated assault with a deadly weapon for chasing Bonnie with a car, and for the murder of her husband, Bill. The trial itself was dramatic and ugly. Shocking, I know. With testimony from Francis's family that Francis loved her husband too much to have intentionally killed him. They also told all about Bill's affair with Bonnie and all of Bonnie's stalking and harassment. And then there was Bonnie, who was all too happy to testify against Francis, stating that if she did harass Francis, it was just out of self-defense because Francis was harassing her, and that during the car chase, she looked in her rearview mirror and actually saw Francis deliberately strike Bill's motorcycle with her Escalade. The prosecution and the defense each called in their own accident reconstruction experts to testify in support of their theories as to how the car chase and Bill's death happened. The prosecution supported Bonnie's version of events, that Francis was 100% the insane aggressor who deliberately rear-ended Bonnie and drove Bill off the road to his death. 
The defense expert refuted that whole story, citing all of that physics that I mentioned earlier, as well as a total lack of collision damage to the rear of the Range Rover or the front of the Escalade. The only real damage to the Escalade was along the rear passenger side, where this expert said it was clear that Bill had collided with the SUV. The defense made the case that Bill's death was a tragic accident, and nothing more. The prosecution made the case of cold-blooded murder. The jury only took a few hours to deliberate, before finding Francis Hall guilty on all charges. So after the verdict comes the sentencing, and Francis was facing life in prison for the murder of her husband, when her defense team pulled a rabbit out of a hat. They pulled up the Sudden Passion Defense, the Texas law that says that if a judge or jury thought that you had been provoked beyond the point of making reasonable decisions, then perhaps you deserved a lighter sentence. A law that had, apparently, been written specifically for Francis Hall. So, the sentencing hearing played out before the same jury that had convicted Francis. They heard testimony from Francis and Bill's daughter, Nikki, from other friends and family, all begging the jury for leniency. And they finally, for the first time, heard testimony from Francis herself, who wept as she told them how much she loved her husband despite his affair, and that she never would have hurt him. In September of 2016, three years almost to the day after that first fateful phone call from Bonnie to Francis, the sentence was announced. Two years for aggravated assault and two years for murder, to be served concurrently. The absolute minimum sentence required by law. The jury, it would seem, agreed that Francis had been provoked to a sudden passion. And she served her time. On September 7, 2018, Francis Hall was released from prison, greeted at the gates with hugs and smiles from friends and family, who drove her home that day in a Cadillac Escalade. Not look at you because <laughs> you're over there you're either you're you're jerrying me on over there you're like yes work work <laughs> you're gorgeous <laughs> do it okay so uh let's talk about the sudden passion defense absolutely tell about tell tell me tell me all about it ah so sudden passion so this, the sudden passion defense, is raised in the punishment stage um, and can reduce a murder charge to a lesser degree <laughs> felony. And um, it is, it, what sudden passion means is passion directly caused and arising out of provocation by the individual killed or another acting with the person killed, which passion arises at the time of the offense and is not solely the result of former provocation. Let's go back. Okay. So, yeah. so, all of that. So, okay, pause on that. That's a lot of information to process. Let's go back to the very first part, which is, so this is not something that during your trial, before the verdict has been read, uh, your lawyer goes, well, she's not guilty because sudden passion. Okay. This is not something that, that decides if you're guilty or not. So that's right. We've talked before about how um, the state has to prove the elements of the crime. Mm -hmm. And one of those elements is your mental state, a culpable mental state that you intended mm -hmm. or in, um, deliberately caused the death of another. So um, before 1994, 
sudden passion mm-hmm. was an element to um, voluntary manslaughter. Voluntary manslaughter. So which is that different would be from murder. Yes. And because of the state of mind, there's oh, this okay. idea that if you are so aroused with passion, <laughs> that even an ordinary person would mm-hmm. be incapable of cool reflection, mm-hmm. such that you acted in a way that wasn't just, um, it wasn't clearly intentional and deliberate. It was, you know, in this heat of the moment, in this heat of passion that mm-hmm. was, you know, beyond this person's uh, control, then um you could be, instead of uh, being convicted of first-degree murder, mm-hmm. of a lower, a lesser offense. But what that did, the courts determined that led to some weird results. I because, would think so, yeah. Because the state is having to prove, in order to um, prove murder in the first degree, they would have to prove the absence of this aroused, impassioned and state. And you can't prove a negative. That's correct. Yeah. And so, in 1994, the legislature changed it, mm-hmm. and... So um, instead of it being an element Mm -hmm. of a manslaughter um, charge, it is now a defense. So as a defensive matter, that Mm -hmm. means that the defendant has to put on some evidence. Mm -hmm. They have to raise some evidence that shows that they were under this state of uh, sudden passion, Mm -hmm. meaning that they were provoked by a cause that would commonly produce some degree of rage, anger, terror, Mm -hmm. that a person of ordinary temper Right. Could not, would be incapable of maintaining, mm-hmm. you know, their objectively reasonable state. So like, say, driving down the road after you just had a big fight with your husband about the fact that he's got a girlfriend half his age and then seeing him and also that girlfriend. So, right. Now, that would be mm-hmm. a question for the jury to weigh mm-hmm. the evidence, right? But they would do that in the punishment stage. Okay. And I think, you know, if there's a lot of evidence that mm-hmm. that is the case, there is this, um, in this case, mm-hmm. Wow. <laughs> so like, thank god for cell phones because this is a really well documented just wealth of provocation well absolutely and the, it seems like it was um this harassment campaign mm-hmm. so that would be that the evidence being put on by francis hall would have been look at all of these texts here's all these look screenshots how many oh i was god. getting per minute per mm-hmm. hour you know, I was being stalked in my home. Mm-hmm. So, sure, then you see this person. It seems like there was some evidence already. Yeah. Pro- now, you had said that it was about provocation in the moment and not just prior provocation. That's right. So it couldn't be somebody who had pissed you off a month ago and then you saw them and it they weren't doing anything wrong in that moment and you decided to kill them. That's right. Okay. So, and that's, and that's the case. You can't mm-hmm. be like, it's just somebody I really hate. Yeah, so she no. couldn't, it couldn't have been like Francis turned down the bread aisle at HEB and there's Bonnie and now it's okay to kill somebody. No, that's right. It's the fact that she saw Bonnie in that context of driving her car, following her husband. And you were right to point out, I think, um, in the story, and then we've talked about it in other times, there's an objective and a subjective standard when you're okay. looking at these things. The could subjective. You, could, could you define that for me again? Because I've slept since then. So a subjective standard applied to this defense would be that thing that drove me absolutely incapable of ref- calm and cool reflection. Okay. Right. I was susceptible to it because. Mm-hmm. And then objectively, you would say, what would any other person? Oh, okay. So the, the proof that you're putting forward at trial, mm-hmm. there would be some things that might say, well, that reads a little like, yes, you are subjectively mm-hmm. riled up. But I don't know if everybody else would mm-hmm. agree. Then there are these things that it's like you see your husband come down the other side of right. the road 
you see the mistress, mistress driving your car, uh-huh. you know, smiling and bopping to the radio. <laughs> and you think of what would the average person, mm-hmm. right. you know, think about it. Now, there might be somebody with nerves of steel in there. I'm mm-hmm. like, yeah, that wouldn't bother me too bad. Right. Well, we're not, that's not yeah. the average reasonable person. That's no. not the person we're talking about the average when you're reasonable, applying. reasonable person. If they had been on foot, then there would have been a hair pulling slap fight, I think, uh, <laughs> in that situation. But unfortunately, you know, ton, tonnage was involved, mm-hmm. rapidly accelerating tonnage on wheels. And oops. So adequate cause, I was going to mention. Um, Do Yes. So we talked about um, it has to be such that um, it would raise this degree of rage or anger or um, resentment or terror. Mm -hmm. This is that's the language from the statute. Um, It can't just be like you fought somebody. Right. Okay. It can't just be offensive. Mm -hmm. Um, I was reading some of the cases on the sudden passion defense and just being struck by somebody isn't enough to raise, you know, the it doesn't raise the bar to. You were so um, impassioned. You were mm-hmm. so filled with this blinding rage that your mind was incapable of cool reflection. Yeah, there that would makes need to sense. Be, there would need to be so much context. And there would be a, a I, I want to throw out legal terms, like I know what I'm talking about. Uh, somebody would have the burden of having to prove a lot of context to make that be a thing. Yes. A impassioned thing. The factual matter, your proof mm-hmm. at trial, because you have to prove your defense um, beyond a preponderance of the evidence. And that means... More than halfway, mm. um, like over 50%. I did not know that. The state has to prove that you committed the crime and all of mm-hmm. its elements beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm. But the defensive matter, you know, the burden that's on the criminal defendant is preponderance of the evidence. And so I, one of the cases I read about the sudden passion plea, um, a man and um, his long-term friend mm-hmm. got into this fight over a woman. Okay. It got crazy. Mm-hmm. And they were swinging, and one of them hit the other one in the head with a bell. Ooh. That with one the, I'm is, sorry. You're going to need to stop. It said a bell. A bell? <laughs> a bell. Like a cowbell or like one of those ding, Christmas ding. jingle it was, bells? It, it had half. Is it a ringside bell? Like a <laughs> tang? Because professional wrestlers do that all the time. That's a legit weapon. The appellate opinion did not have a picture of the bell. Well. And so I did not read any testimony about I the bell. I feel like that. Whoever wrote that appellate opinion needs to go back <laughs> and provide some more information. I will call a friend. I have questions. I'm sorry. You so, were saying no, hit him sure. in the head with a bell. But the, it had to have been substantial enough that mm-hmm. it caused a serious wound and the man was bleeding. Okay. So it wasn't enough in the court's opinion mm-hmm. that he had been struck with the bell because he was in this fight. Okay. It was, however, that the man said... There was so much blood running into his face. He thought he would pass out. Mm. And then he thought because he was in this fight, he might die. Okay. So they said, well, that would that would establish a subjective belief. Mm. Head wounds bleed like crazy. Mm. So, yeah. And Especially so, when you're already, your heart's already pounding. Mm-hmm. So all that blood pressure is way up. Yeah, I can see how it would just, it would seem like, oh my God, yeah. I might be bleeding out here. Yeah, mm-hmm. I have no idea what's going to happen to me as soon as right. I pass out. Mm-hmm. And so the um, the court didn't say that that was enough to establish, you know, defense, but it was mm-hmm. enough that he should have been able to raise that defense at the punishment stage of his trial. Okay, that's what you're looking at. the The judge has to determine that the evidence showed mm-hmm. that a defense could be raised. Then you get to put that instruction before the jury in the punishment stage. Okay. Now, is it always before the jury? So, if there is a weighing of evidence. Mm-hmm. The jury should decide it. If, okay. if it's a fact, if it's um, a determination of whether or not something happened mm-hmm. and whether or not you're going to believe 
a set of evidence over and over. If it's not a legal question, it's a jury question. Okay. So the judge is going to decide certain things that are legal questions mm-hmm. that are applications of the law. But you have a jury to decide, you know, whether or not the criminal defendant has um, done something and that the burden has been met mm-hmm. to the standard of beyond a reasonable doubt for the state's case and then in the defense, mm-hmm. you know, more than a preponderance. So is it <clears throat> okay? Because, like in Francis's case, it was the same jury that had convicted her and it would need to be. Like, you don't want to have to mm-hmm. bring a whole new set of 12 people up to speed on the right. situation. Okay. So, and um, it's in some cases, it makes sense to split the decision to have a, a guilt and innocent phase. Mm-hmm. And a um, punishment phase okay. because you don't want certain issues muddying the, the answers to the questions in the first stage. You, mean you don't want the jury trying to skip ahead necessarily and decide, oh, am okay. I going to find somebody innocent or guilty based on what I think is going to happen in the punishment stage? So you don't want them uh, thinking, okay, they might be sentenced to death here. And so I can't, I can't have that on my conscience. So even if I think that they're guilty as hell, I'm not going to say guilty. You know, that that would be a way to look at it. Yeah. Um, but it's, you know, not necessarily it wouldn't necessarily be that. But mm-hmm. that is the idea okay. that you'd be looking so far ahead trying to judge or gauge the impact like of your that. decision. Yeah. Now, that makes sense because you want them to focus on the decision ahead of them right now. Right. Compartmentalize it. Are they guilty or not? Then we'll worry about what their punishment's going to be. That's right. Because the they gonna might not even have a punishment because you might have found them not guilty. Let's work on that question first. That's right. And the, the jury's going to have to find certain, mm-hmm. they're going to have to answer certain questions. Like mm-hmm. for each element of the crime, they're going to have to make a determination. Mm-hmm. And you do, you want that cabined. You want that to be unbiased mm-hmm. by other extraneous matters. Okay. And so what happens with the sudden passion, friends, I think, um, Initially, for murder, and uh, Francis Hall was found guilty, the um, punishment range was five years to 99 years. The um, reduction Mm -hmm. in the um, punishment for establishing the sudden passion defense Mm -hmm. brought it down from like two years to, was it 10? I think it's 10. I don't know what the upper limit was. I just know that they gave her the very smallest amount they possibly could. Which suggests something about mm-hmm. the nature of the evidence that the mm-hmm. jury was weighing. It's interesting, though, that um, they found her guilty of murder. Uh-huh. So there was a mental state that um, she either... So the, the murder statute suggests she either intentionally or knowingly caused a death, mm-hmm. or she intended to cause serious bodily injury. Mm-hmm. And, that, then, and that ended in a death. Right. She committed an act clearly dangerous to human life mm-hmm. that caused a death. And then, um, or committed or attempted to commit a felony mm-hmm. other than manslaughter. And then in the course of that felony. And so the um, the fact that she was convicted mm-hmm. also of aggravated assault with a deadly weapon. The deadly weapon being a Cadillac Escalade. That's correct. Because it could be a firearm mm-hmm. when you're talking about assault with a deadly weapon, or it could be something that is used in a manner. I mean, anything will kill you if you swing it hard enough. <laughs> you swing, you're swinging a Cadillac Escalade at 90 miles an hour. Somebody's going to die. Um, and that's also clearly dangerous to human life. Yeah. Like chasing somebody down at 90 miles per hour. She could have killed so many people that day. And I, so I was wondering why it wasn't like, because her story is that it was an accident. She didn't even know that that it was hap- that, that he had been injured. Right. Like that was not her goal. Her goal was to chase Bonnie down and do something. Who knows right. what. Uh, get her to pull over so they could have a, a hair pulling slap fight on the side of the road, I guess. Um, so... Is it that, I mean, I wasn't able to find a lot of documentation from the actual indictment. No. Um, 
So I guess you, I, I don't want to ask you to speculate wildly, but could you speculate wildly <laughs> as to uh, why she got a murder and not some kind of like, oops, accidentally killed no, a man charge? I really, um, I did. I wanted to see the indictment because the, the case and as it proceeds is completely based on the prosecution. Mm-hmm. So the, the prosecutor gets to decide which charges to, to levy, um, which ones to go forward, whether or not you want to, um, you know, go for a lesser offense mm-hmm. or whether or not you're going to go for first degree murder. And, you know, there are, there are definitely, um, there are risks involved mm-hmm. in whichever you choose. Okay. And there are strategic mm-hmm. decisions being made. Um, clearly the, um, prosecutor thought they had a case for murder. They thought they could show intentionality. Okay. I did not know, I guess it's, it would be speculation, um, whether or not they thought it was clear that, um, or allegedly, mm-hmm. <laughs> the allegations may have shown that um, the intention was to cause serious bodily harm to Bonnie. Yeah. And so... So it might have been that in her... And in the attempt to cause seriously serious bodily harm to one person... Mm-hmm. And you did indeed cause the death of another. So that might be... that could have been enough to establish the mental state required. Um, That makes sense because what else, what other intent do you possibly have if you're chasing someone down the highway in your big damn SUV like that? Like, what what, what are you going to do if she pulls over? What are you going to do? And the prosecution was alleging that she was um, causing impacts with the other vehicle. Yeah. So it's... And at Can you imagine speed? a wreck at that speed with two SUVs? Like SUVs are not renowned for their stability in remaining upright under duress. Like, yeah, that could have been really terrible. Yeah. So in terms of the prosecution um, making the decision it made to go forward on the mm-hmm. murder charge, I found a really interesting point of law that okay. it, it merits discussion. So if you are convicted of murder, okay. you have the opportunity to raise the sudden passion defense Mm -hmm. it's um it's outlined in the murder statute however if you are convicted of aggravated assault and you cause the death of the person Mm -hmm. you are not entitled if you are convicted of aggravated assault you are not entitled to raise a sudden passion defense so if what but why because that is the that is the way the statute has been written and the way um, the statutes are written, they're not equivalent. Aggravated assault is not equivalent to the murder statute. Is that assuming and that aggravated assault did not end in death? So um, if you cause the death of another... Mm-hmm. Then it's murder. It it could be. Now, okay. that would be a decision of the prosecutor okay. to have pursued mm-hmm. a charge. Maybe the prosecutor was more certain mm-hmm. that they would um, convict based on aggravated assault. So the case I read, it was a 2008 case. Okay. And it involved a man, Dennis Michael Leroy, Mm -hmm. who walked in on a Billy Bohm and his wife, Cheryl Leroy. Mm -hmm. And uh, Cheryl and Billy were in the throes of sexual intercourse in Billy's camper trailer. Oh, no. So um, Dennis retrieved a gun (laughs) Mm -hmm. and shot Cheryl. Okay. And she later died. Mm -hmm. So he was indicted and convicted on aggravated assault. And... On appeal, they were like, whoa, hey, (laughs) he was clearly out of his mind in a jealous rage. Right. And also, how is that not how? What is the difference between aggravated assault and murder or voluntary manslaughter or any of that? Right. So this is. Is is that the chess game we're looking at here? That is the chess game we're looking at. And the court. Dirty. 
said murder, uh-huh. but it is well established in our law and it is clear by the law that murder can be reduced mm-hmm. by proving your sudden passion defense. Right. Aggravated assault cannot. So the, re- the, the reason the prosecution charged him with aggravated assault is because they didn't want him to pull sudden passion and reduce his sentence. So possibly. Speculating. I mean, yep. Presumably that mm-hmm. could have been a consideration. Huh. Yeah. And so, um, yeah, now that there's case law that Mm -hmm. establishes one way, it's at least, um, I'm sure it's out there because, um, so I don't practice criminal law, Mm -hmm. but um, in the areas that you do practice, you stay up, you read Mm -hmm. all of these decisions coming out from the courts. Right. So I am sure prosecutors and criminal defense attorneys are reading these cases and they're like, oh. Oh, so we have a different strategic Mm -hmm. plan to... To lay out if the charge is one thing versus another. So I'm looking at like, because her sentencing, so she was she was found guilty for both the aggravated assault with a deadly weapon for chasing Bonnie with the car. And she was found guilty of the murder of her husband, Bill. What Do we know what the sentence range is for aggravated assault? So generally, it's a second degree felony punishable by two to 20 years. Okay. In a state penitentiary mm-hmm. and a fine of up to $10,000. Okay. So she got the bare minimum sentence for both of those charges. So uh, after having cashed in her, her sudden passion coupon and getting the reduced <laughs> the reduced so, cost on the murder charge. In terms of how that played out, I think um, it's important to think about the amount of evidence that mm-hmm. both sides, the prosecution clearly had a lot of evidence mm-hmm. in its case. Yeah. But um, there, I think there were a couple surprising points like... Um, Frances Hall's daughter uh-huh. testified mm-hmm. on her behalf and in support of her, um, as well as, was it, um, is it Bill, Billy's best friend mm-hmm. and his cousin yeah. testified um, to the surprise of the state on Frances's behalf. Was this during the, the trial or during the punishment? So, I'm a, so um, that was not clear mm-hmm. in what I read. Because I know, but, like, God and everybody turned out to testify in her support during the sentencing. Right. And so I believe that's when it was. Mm-hmm. And I think the state thought, well, surely like mm-hmm. the cousin and right. the best friend are going to be like, vindicate the death of my friend. And, you know, they, they did not. No. They were like, these two were true blue for this many years. Mm-hmm. And um, the the cousin in particular said he had had a change of heart. Like mm-hmm. he just listening through and watching the trial, he oh, okay. he did not believe that she intended to kill mm-hmm. his cousin. So I think that's very compelling and persuasive. And then I think there is a there's definitely that element of who in that jury mm-hmm. could have put themselves in that situation yeah. and said, well, okay, mm-hmm. I could see a reasonable person right. being completely I out would, of their mind. I would have loved to have found a breakdown of the demographics of that jury. That is not information that is readily available on the internet, probably for good reason. Um, just to find out like how many were women, how many were men, how many were married or mm-hmm. in relationships at all, because all of that. Well, and who and, do you think, so jury selection's an interesting yeah. thought. I mean, who would you be trying to select as your juror? I, I don't know. If I'm the defense, I want married women. So, you know, and then if you're the state, who do you want? Not the married women. Like, <laughs> like there's some juggling going on. You want you want married dudes, maybe, mm-hmm. who look like maybe they would be like on Bill's side on this one. <laughs> so I can um, I can imagine like it would also be hard to know mm-hmm. when you're talking to the jury and you're asking them questions and could you be you know impartial mm-hmm. in this type of situation? Right. And, oh, and then know. you know, and how easily swayed are you going to be when you? 
when you see these texts, when you see these pictures, when you see just the thi- the one that got me. I'm like, be, be who you're going to be and share your booty pictures if you want to share your booty pictures. And yeah, it's, it's really beyond the pale that you sent sex pictures. Mm-hmm. Sure. The one that got me was the hysterectomy one. Like, <sighs> oh, you have crossed some lines. I think what went through my mind was that suggests the conversations. Mm-hmm. That's that's oh. such a violation of privacy in that moment. Like, mm-hmm. why does your girlfriend know this about? Why are me? you talking about? Why are you talking about? In what context were you talking to your non-hysterectomy girlfriend about the fact that I don't have a uterus anymore? Even if he says no, no, I told her that it happened, and then I told her to never speak of it again. How am I <laughs> supposed to believe you? Because oh. now she's weaponized that information. Oh, so I can only imagine the the narrative. Yes. That was being built. This would you be an could easy build thing. this slowly, yeah, and just chipping layer away, layer chipping away, layer. chipping away, mm-hmm. and then on this day, what this, happened? This bomb dropped, and this, and you just tap that first domino mm-hmm. of the narrative and watch it all fall down for these jurors, so they can see and like it would not be difficult to spin this story. This story kind of spins itself. I think it does, and I I think there were some you know calculations that the prosecution made, mm-hmm. and then I don't know maybe the evidence that they thought was strong mm-hmm. wasn't you know maybe they thought it was stronger than it actually was when it went to trial. Okay, because there was clearly a battle between experts, mm-hmm. the accident reconstruction yes. experts, um, and there was something to be said about. The defense's expert Mm -hmm. was completely chipping away at everything Bonnie was saying. Yes. And was showing that it was unfounded. Yeah. And that it didn't happen the way she said. Well, it couldn't have happened to the degree, to the magnitude or at all. And so then, yeah, then the prosecution's expert has to play catch up. Right. And so they're trying to explain, well, no, no, there was truth to what she said. She was just maybe a little hysterical or maybe Mm -hmm. she, you know, she was all excitable. Yeah. And she didn't. But the more you're digging you know yourself out of mm-hmm. these missteps and miscalculations, the jury's going to look at that and they get to weigh the evidence. They get to decide right. whose expert's more credible, who is telling more truth, mm-hmm. who they want to believe more and by how much. Right. And so all of those things mm-hmm. stacked up. And I think that completely showed in the sentencing. Yeah. Because there was enough evidence that they could convict her of murder. Mm-hmm. But then they were like, yeah, but there's also enough. Yeah. And um, one of the stories I read about the um, the verdict is there was an audible gasp and sigh of relief in the courtroom oh. when the sentence was read. Mm-hmm. Like people didn't want her. They believed mm-hmm. that she was genuine and that she was not. She was so like in this impassioned state. She wasn't trying to kill yeah. her husband. Now, that's not to say maybe she wasn't being so wrongful. And so careless and reckless right. and dangerous. No, that and, was that you know, whole from the moment that she decided to choose to chase instead of just moving on about your day. Oh, that was a bad decision. We were we were not making our best choices. We then. were not making thinking decisions. Is, no. and I think that that was the defense's yeah. point. And what no reasonable person, no person in a reasonable state of mind would be like, you know what? I'm gonna pull a U-turn and initiate a high-speed car chase. Oh. Like that's not. Oh, that's not the rational decision. I would think just the action itself, especially from somebody who had no prior trouble whatsoever. And that had to, like, that had to weigh. You have all these people yeah, saying. This, this nice, this nice middle-aged, oh. middle-aged successful business owner. 
like who has never had any prior pr- trouble with the law, who it, uh, doesn't disturb the peace on a regular basis. <laughs> this is well beyond her normal behavior. Yeah. I think that would not be a difficult argument to she make. She was not in her right mind. No. Did you have anything else about sudden passion? Oh. Sudden passion. I so I just, it, it really threw me for a loop when I read that it might be better for a prosecutor to just decide to go with aggravated assault because <laughs> then you can't even raise sudden passion. The, the burden on the state to prove ele- every element in the crime means that they have, a hef- they have the burden. They have the heavy rock to, mm-hmm. to lift. And I don't know why I'm searching desperately for some better analogy. But it's, it's lots of things are heavy. Would you like to list heavy things? Yeah, like a rock or a, like a <laughs> or like car a, and you're trying to or like, crossfit with the ropes. Or like no. my son twice. That's a lot of kid. Like, that would be heavy. So the state already has the, the massive burden, as they should, mm-hmm. because this is about taking away somebody's liberty. And yes. Putting somebody behind bars. That in should some be cases, difficult to do. Life. Yeah. So, right. They have to prove each and every element beyond a reasonable doubt. Mm-hmm. So that was 1994 mm-hmm. that we moved sudden passion to the sentencing phase out of the trial and into the sentencing phase post correct post verdict mid punishment is when you can bring up that argument that's correct i like it and i think so, it makes more sense there and then yeah with regard to the the plea remember it's the the burden of production and persuasion is on the defendant mm-hmm. because it's their defense and so the burden of production means you have to have some evidence you have to be able to show mm-hmm. you know with some proof that the defense is applicable. Okay. And then the burden of persuasion is you have to show by a preponderance of the evidence. Mm-hmm. You have to show it um, by more than, more likely than not, more probable than not, over 50%. Um, so, yeah, do we have anything else on sudden passion? No, let's talk about the estate. Did you want to yeah, talk about so the estate? About the estate. So, this is a $15 million business at the moment of Bill's death. That's right. And then the. One of the owner operators is dead. The other one is in jail. Mm-hmm. So I don't know what happens with it after that. All I know is I tried to Google Bill Hall Jr. Trucking Limited, and I found a listing for it to be for sale. Oh. They are selling this this trucking empire. That's pretty uh, interesting. So do, what do we know about... Because I, I encountered some articles that were like, something's going on with the estate, but yeah. I just could not focus on that. Oh, okay. So, well, I do know. That the son, mm-hmm. Justin, Justin, mm-hmm. sought um, a constructive trust to be placed over the estate to keep it from going to his mom. Oh. Um, and he didn't want her I guess to this, receive dad's half. That would explain why we didn't really hear from Justin during the trial. Maybe maybe, so, maybe yeah. this is where his opinion landed. That's right. And so um, when he um, sought a constructive trust... So um, I guess I should tell you what a constructive yes, trust is. Yes, I was about to say, the hell is that? So, so. <laughs> um, the law has a principle that um, you do not get to profit mm-hmm. from your wrongdoing. It's an okay. equitable principle. Um, and so, for example, if I, through fraud, get you to sign over your mm-hmm. house to me, um, the law might place a constructive trust around it and be like, well, we resolve this. Okay. You can't have it. Mm-hmm. Um, or if there's some other, you know... Um, Basically, the law will disgorge your wrongfully obtained. Okay. And so um, in the law, there is a another interesting, it's called the um, the Slayer Rule. Oh, oh uh-huh. this is the coolest rule ever. So it, Does it kill vampires? I mean, right? This is not the Buffy Rule. It's the Slayer Rule. So basically, um, the different states have a, what's considered a Slayer Statute. And the idea is you don't get to inherit from somebody that you killed. 
Oh, okay. Like, especially if, um, and the idea was you can't incentivize or allow somebody to kill somebody in order to be the beneficiary of their will or the beneficiary of their state. You can't inherit if you get caught. Right. And so Texas has a Slayer statute that addresses insurance proceeds. Nice. Okay. And um, there's a common law, and this is just, it's um, developed over time through judicial decisions. There is also a remedy to protect the other beneficiaries. Mm -hmm. You know, so when the estate is put in a constructive trust, it will go to those who are not Mm -hmm. found to be, you know... um, the one the the wrongful okay. wrongful actor wrongdoers so um it it seems like what happened there was what the son was. <laughs> yes what was his name justin he sought a constructive trust he didn't want the um estate to go to his mom mm-hmm. because she killed dad but the court determined that because the sudden passion defense applied oh. that negated <laughs> Right, that that negated the intent that's required under Texas law to establish willful taking of a Mm -hmm. life. So the Texas Estates Code was not going to allow a forfeiture Mm -hmm. of her part of the estate, of the estate that was going to her. Uh Uh-huh. So it she, was did she get so she got the estate. So what yeah, his portion of the estate Mm -hmm. that was going to go, he didn't have a will. Oh. What? Wait, what? So he did not have a will. So by law, his portion of the property was going to go to his wife, which is what happens. I I mean, yeah, but like, how do you have a business that big and a family that big and you don't have a will? Okay, let's be real. This is not legal advice. I'm not advising anybody. But, you know, hypothetically, everybody Mm -hmm. should at any, you know, even if you're young, mm-hmm. even if you're young and successful and you yeah. don't see any rainy days on the horizon, yes, you yeah. should You should go ahead I have and a have your matters yeah. right. Like, I've got $5 right now and I've got a will <laughs> saying who gets what portion of my $5. Yeah. Like, and how? Okay. So now there are things that Deal. don't go into your estate, per se. Okay. And so if that's your situation... But the more complex mm-hmm. your financial situation is. I mean, like if you're a millionaire? The more prudent it is yeah. to to have a will, to have, you know, a clear idea of what's going to happen is to your estate. Which is just person-to-person advice, not legal advice of any kind, as just, stated in the disclaimer at the top of the show. It's always surprising. Yeah. Like, but, and so when I read that, I was like, oh, okay, that's why, the, that's why we have this fight. Um, so... Um, the bill, court did bill, not bill. side with the son. I'm sure Thanksgiving is very comfortable at their house. <laughs> yeah, and um, the reporting suggests that Nikki, even though she would have, she stood the to gain. Yeah. She sided with mom, mm-hmm. and she um, she testified that yeah. she didn't think Nikki was a constructive trust was on necessary. Mom's side, 100. percent Yeah. Um, so the constructive trust it would require proof of a mm-hmm. murder. And apparently that would be a, 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 I can't talk tonight. I have had It's a good thing you're not being recorded for a podcast. My P's and my R's (laughs) and my my Q's and my E, E, O, God. What what letter is, (laughs) where in the alphabet does that come? Is it M-N-O-P? Right. So ultimately the court said that the conviction Mm -hmm. that Justin was relying on didn't serve as a prerequisite. It wasn't the necessary product. Because of the sudden passion. Mm -hmm. So it couldn't be a basis for imposing the trust. I'm sure he was thrilled but, to um, hear that. 
in general, the principle is you you cannot inherit from somebody you murder. Mm-hmm. You cannot be the beneficiary okay. of the estate when you um, right when you have committed the wrongful act of the murder. So, and sometimes the constructive trust is um, imposed because the next takers or mm-hmm. whoever would be able to take under the will mm-hmm. isn't of age yet or something. Okay. Like if um, the only other beneficiary mm-hmm. would be the the child mm-hmm. of the person that murdered the the decedent okay well then right you would put it in trust Mm -hmm. and then it could skip the person who was the wrongdoer okay okay so it's got i mean you're right it's Mm -hmm. got a useful and practical application Mm -hmm. but in this case um justin did not prevail no sorry buddy hopefully uh mom's not so pissed about that and she'll give you a piece of it later maybe I mean, if mom doesn't have a will, then the kids are going to get the estate. Yes, and, and they, they will probably just split it because it's just the two of them. Texas is one of the few states where you can disinherit somebody. You know, you can say, I give all my to everybody and this person and this person, but not Steve. Really? Yeah. Okay. And some okay. states don't allow don't, that. But yeah. Texas is like, no, freedom to contract, freedom huh. to dispose of your assets and your property any way you like interesting so you could say to all my kids except smelly steve and <laughs> why's he gonna be smelly well i'm saying you could even put that in the will and, would... <laughs> and then some poor executor has got to read except smelly steve welcome to the conversation princess oh is it time is it time uh so uh, i mean is that i really this was such a fun case to do, if only because it wasn't a goddamn lynching. Oh. Like, so it was just really nice to come into this century, for one thing, uh, and uh, and be like, whew, it was just really, it was really refreshing, I guess, in a way, just, uh, just a good old murder. Can we just... Well, it was <sighs> interesting. It was a murder. Yeah. It was an application of the statutes. It was actually, since we didn't get to see the indictment mm-hmm. or the trial, and I would have loved to see how exactly this case was prosecuted. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, there were a lot of interesting and kind of complex mm-hmm. interactions between the statutes. And yeah. I, I really like that. And I love the the light we got to shed on the fact that most of us think it was a crime of passion. That means right. you just like go home. Like, no, no it is. Yeah. You still cause the death of a person. Mm-hmm. You still are, are culpable and are going to go to prison. Yeah. And But I think it's really, I mean... It's super Texas. I'm sure there are other states that have a sudden passion law, but it's super Texas to be like, oh, no, you killed this guy. But like, we kind of get why. You got to go away for a while, <laughs> but not as long. Like, right. We'll cut you a little slack on that. And it's I interesting mean, with Texas history that I think we mentioned, you know, several episodes ago mm-hmm. that it's embedded in our law for mm-hmm. a long time. There was this excuse or justification. Yeah um for for the um for the death mm-hmm. caused by the person that walked in on their spouse who was in the act of intercourse with another right and not only would the death of the spouse be excused under law but the death of the participant right. who was in bed with you the spouse you could shoot everybody in the room right and it would have been okay and that for years it was not only on the books but you know there are legal opinions saying well, that's right. And this is excused under Texas law. Yeah. And so I feel like that is still like in the DNA of the law in Texas. 
uh, I have to lean away from the microphone and pet her or she will continue to meow. Uh, so here we go. Um, but yeah, I feel like that is just in the DNA of Texas law to be like, yeah, but he had it coming. He had it coming. He had it coming all along. I'm doing that thing again where I reference musical theater and you just smile oh, and nod at me. I heard <laughs> you did a half and half um, when you said <laughs> flames, flames, flames on my face. Well, I've seen face. Clue. <laughs> I know Clue. <laughs> and then you mixed it with the Chicago reference. You know what I'm talking about now. Because you Aww. put it in my brain from the last time you made that Yay. reference. So yeah, and you're I, so gorgeous. I was like, you did a hybrid. You did a hybrid. <laughs> I did. I did. I mixed it up. Okay, so um, we don't need to have our faith in humanity restored. I don't think after this whole thing. Hi, Nico. I know. Uh, we don't. We don't really need a faith in humanity restoration because we. I. I feel like uh, this went pretty well as for all parties involved, except for maybe Bill. Um. um Anyway, I do want to, I want to find a review that reminds us that, that love is real. Love we is love in love. the air. We love love. And um, here we go. I'm going to find one. I'm scrolling. <laughs> okay. Uh, here we have a review from S-E underscore R Austin. Uh, that is entitled Murder and Mayhem, comma, Texa. Again, I can't see the whole title oh. of the of the review. So I don't, wow, it's a long one. Okay. Um, I'm a regular podcast listener and subscribe to loads of them. It takes a lot to get me to subscribe to a new title and even more to put it on my autoplay list. After just the first episode of Outlaws and Scorned Women, I was hooked. The stories are specifically about murder and mayhem in the big old state of Texas, and there is plenty of that to go around. The stories are well-researched, and the presenter does a great job of telling the tales with a mild Texas accent. Thank you, because I could lean into it a lot harder if I wanted to. Plenty of insight and a dash of sass. I think we, we both do that. A little dash of sass. The first two episodes have been fun, and the second one was even wilder than the first. I'm looking forward to more from O&SW. Thank you, S-E underscore R Austin. We are also looking forward to more. You help to reassure us that love is real. Love is forever. Even if you run love off the side of the highway. <laughs> I'm so sorry. Oh, I'm so I'm not laughing at a man's death, but I'm kind of laughing at a man's death. Well, all right. Thank y'all for listening. We sure do appreciate you. If you're enjoying the show, tell your friends. Tell the whole daggum world. Hop on over to your local podcast platform and leave us a five-star rating and a review. More ratings and reviews means more listeners, means more fun for everybody. Speaking of fun, we are now on Patreon. Check us out at patreon.com slash OSWpodyall, that's O-S-W-P-O-D-Y-A-L-L, and see if the spirit moves you to help support the podcast. Patrons will get access to stuff like shoutouts, bonus deleted scenes from each episode, I'm thinking about starting a watch and recap of Walker, Texas Ranger, cool stuff like that. You can find us on all the social medias at OSWPodYall. That's where we'll post links and pictures and all kinds of goodies to go along with each episode. You can also email us at outlawsandscornedwomen at gmail.com or find us online at outlawsandscornedwomen.podbean.com. As always, we are not journalists or investigators. Brilliant minds have already done all that legwork, so we will be posting links to all of the sources for our research on the Podbean site and in the show notes. And yeah, I think that's everything. So y'all have a good one and we'll see you next time. Mm-hmm.